Hello, and welcome to The Mummer's Farce, the podcast about the visual production of HBO's Game of Thrones. I'm Dan Solberg. And I'm Kate Barry. And today we've got Game of Thrones episode four of season eight, The Last of the Starks, directed by David Nutter and written by the WB, as all of the rest of them will be. And this was the question-answering episode of What Happens Now? And I feel like we got some answers. For better or worse, mm-hmm. we got some answers. Some clarity. Um, <laughs> what? I feel like this is a kind of a, a pretty messy episode in a lot of ways. Do you have any kind of any big takeaways from from what we witnessed here in episode four? Well, you know, I was so ready to just have a feast episode where people were like, "Man, I'm so glad we survived. That wasn't as bad as I thought. Let's enjoy being alive." Mm-hmm. And so the first half hour i'm like i understand where this is going and then the rest of it totally shocked me (laughs) i couldn't predict any of it and that was not the episode i was looking for but there are things about it that i'm glad that they did and then of course there's things that i wish they had never ever Mm -hmm. done yeah they the way they had kind of paced this season i mean the pace of this show at this point (laughs) is maybe it's a worst asset um and the way they had these two episodes of lead up to the battle for Winterfell. And then, like you said, it'd be maybe nice to have like a celebratory episode or something like that. That would fit in line with the pace they had established this episode. It was the whole time though. It was a pace that was like, I don't know how they're going to do this, you know, in six episodes. And apparently it's just by having wild divergences and how fast things go and how slow things happen and just having it be, all over the place, which I I guess is not surprising given the last two seasons of this show. It's one of those things where I guess we should be used to it at this point, and I guess I kind of am, to be honest. But, yeah. you know, it's still this all over the place kind of uh, speed to things. Yeah, and I realize that's true to life, that most of the time things go at a really slow pace and it doesn't seem like anything's happening. And then all of a sudden it's like, bam, how, how did everything happen at once? Mm-hmm. But in a TV show, you get to decide the pacing. And yeah. I'm just surprised that this was the pacing they chose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I will give the show credit. And I actually think that I'm probably more positive on, on this episode than I have seen a lot of other opinions about mm-hmm. this episode. I'm not all the way positive on it, but I, I do think it is a pretty big achievement in some ways that they had this eight seasons of, or, you know, seven seasons of the show leading up to the battle for Winterfell they end it halfway through this season. You just picture this like giant ship that is like barreling forward with a scorpion, yeah, towards a port of some kind. And then they're like, We're gonna go to this other place instead and to like steer this massive ship in another direction. I felt like even though they probably hit some some rocks mm-hmm. along the way mm-hmm. they maybe you lost some passengers over the side with the centripetal force <laughs> but they did make the turn and it feels like there is actually this new trajectory that is heading towards whether or not that's a good destination remains to be seen some people would say already that it is not right <laughs> i was just like i don't know how they're gonna do it and then they did it. They did a version of it. You sure. know, it happened. No, I remember, so. and I know we'll we'll get to our bingo cards at the end, but I remember while we were all sitting at a table making our bingo cards that I said, well, 
you know, I want Daenerys to become the villain, but they just mm-hmm. don't have time to do it now. And so I'm not going to put that on my card because that would be crazy for them yeah. to make that choice at this point. And not only did they make that choice, but they made it four episodes in <laughs> <laughs> to the final season. And that really, that did surprise me. Uh, you know, we haven't really been doing full recaps of this, but I feel like we need to at least lay out a little bit of what kind of happens here. Just separate it in, into blocks anyway. Sure. You know, there's the the celebration and well, actually the funeral for all the fallen people from last episode celebration afterwards the people who still made it out alive and then gradually starting at that point Daenerys starts to feel more and more isolated mm-hmm. and like she's not loved the same way that John is John reveals his parentage secret to his sisters and Sansa starts kind of leaking that information to Tyrion who then starts kind of leaking it to Varys and it's kind of spreading from there all the while Daenerys and her troops are actually heading down to station in Dragonstone for an upcoming siege, maybe assault on King's Landing, but the plan seems to be a siege. Yes. And in the course of that, Rhaegal gets speared from some like mega scorpions that they have now Mm -hmm. and dies, presumably, seemed bad. Yeah. No, he seemed pretty bad. And over the course of that, the uh, Cersei and company are... Euron or whoever else was out there, they capture Missande, who was on the boat. And then they have this parlay at the gates, and it's, of course, not going to get resolved. And so Cersei and uh, the Mountain kill Missande, and then Daenerys is very mad at the end. And justifiably so, you know? Yeah. Um, And so there's a lot of other little character moments in the episode that we'll get to, but it's sort of just to lay out the general trajectory of things here the different phases some of them transition into one another very subtly you know i think the funeral to somber kind of salutations in the the great hall then transitions the gradual sort of drinking commencing to becoming a party atmosphere and then that kind of continuing to evolve is a really kind of elegant transition Mm -hmm. other ones are very sharp and pointed and abrupt yeah I think intentionally, I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot, but I think the guiding star of the show, especially now, but maybe this entire season, is what will surprise the audience. I don't Mm -hmm. know that that makes for the best show, but it does make for a lot of surprises. Yeah. So we do open with this funeral scene. And having watched this twice now, my first impressions of this episode were that they were really pushing Daenerys into this potential mad queen role sort of like she can't escape her bloodline Mm -hmm. of this sort of temperament Mm -hmm. and on second viewing i don't see it quite so much i think that there are moments where the show is trying to push it a bit a little artificially but i just get the feeling like she has a justified paranoia and anger at the losses that she's suffers this episode and the big question of whether or not she's going to burn King's Landing, I think that she won't, basically. So maybe I just, I, just don't, I just believe like that cliffhanger ending is going to be something that's trying to, to make us think something that's not actually the case. Yeah, I think I felt, I felt the same, that especially on the second viewing, that it was more of her growing isolation 
I think that if they were going to do this, or if I was going to sort of re-edit the episode, that I would have the concerns about her growing madness happen after she's had all these losses, because it seems like Tyrion and Varys and some others are really concerned about her mental state before she shows any reason for concern. And so Mm. it seems just like, basically for no reason, they're ready to support someone else. And then at the very end of the episode, she gets some really good reasons to be upset and to make something that maybe might make her a little less stable but because the people around her have already decided that she can't be trusted that she's intemperate that she doesn't control herself that it doesn't matter and that her and if anything her paranoia and her feeling of isolation i think you're right are justified because the people around her are plotting right before she's really done anything i think that was one of my questions is is really at this point what is the difference between john and danny and why has everyone, including the showrunners and the writers, decided that John is so much more deserving? Yeah. So that's sort of like where everything goes this episode, right? Sure. And so I've, I've, skipped back w- I've skipped way ahead. No, no. I skipped way ahead. And I was I started with my beginning of my sentence was about the funeral scene. And then I just went somewhere. But what I was trying to say was basically, even at the very start of this episode, we see the seeds of that being planted. Absolutely. Because... We have uh, a lot of focus in the funeral scene between Daenerys and Jorah. And it's basically, to me, conveying Jorah was really the person who was there for Daenerys to stand up for her in all these situations and to defend her. And she is mournful that he is gone and that there's almost no one left. There's no one really to fill that role. And Tyrion comes closest. But Mm -hmm. even he is not totally... And he's not in league with Jorah here. And the other aspect of the funeral that I think starts pushing Daenerys in this direction is John is leading all the ceremonies and Daenerys, for all intents and purposes, is just another torchbearer the same way Sansa is, the same way Grey Worm is, the same way. And it, and to some extent, that's kind of like, oh, hey, we're all just people, but not really because John is leading the whole thing and... You know, if you think about like the big procession in the beginning of this series with the king coming and how everybody is supposed to sort of treat royalty, they are not treating Daenerys like royalty in these scenes. No, and even his speech, John's speech, which I think is a good one, he frames the sacrifice in terms of the watchers on the wall, the shields that protects the realms of men, which makes sense. They're fighting an enemy from the north. But Daenerys may understand the sacrifice in another way, but it's not framed in in terms of her story. It's framed in terms of Jon's. Right. So we go from there. Well, Ghost is there, but I think we'll just talk about Ghost later. Mm -hmm. And then we move into the hall. There There is a nice little transition here where we have the flames and the smoke below, and then we cut to the little candles inside and I don't know, it's it's just a, a nice little transition because once we come in, it is this sort of somber scene and just the relationship that these kind of little fires that could be like little vigils because they're everywhere mm-hmm. in, the, in this great hall is kind of like all the people they lost sort of in multiplied and represented here with these little candles. Yeah, I think that's right. But it doesn't take long and maybe the fire also symbolizes this. Gendry's the one who starts it, but everyone follows suit that like, oh, we survived. How do you go express the life that you still have? Right. And the Hound teases him about it, but also doesn't blame him. This whole sequence in the Great Hall, I think is really great. I agree. I think each of the characters are 
filling their roles quite well. It feels well written. It's also just fun. People are smiling, having a good time. (laughs) And the characters who fit that mold the best certainly shine. Tormund is fantastic in this Mm -hmm. sequence. Tyrion's also pretty good and also very Tyrion-y, even when they're playing the drinking game and he takes it too far like he always would. Yeah. I I don't know. there's There's a good kind of chumminess or sort of uh people who are off put by the kind of the celebration and the happiness you know are playing those those roles as well right i the one i liked some of the best was davos especially when gendry is made lord of storm's end that i he seems to have this feeling of like i did the right thing by protecting stannis's now heir right there's something Mm -hmm. that but his legitimate legitimization that makes Davos's affection and protection of Gendry even more justified, which is nice. Yeah, let's let's talk about Gendry's stuff here. So Daenerys makes him legitimizes him mm-hmm. as a Baratheon mm-hmm. and makes him Lord of Storm's End after no one can uh, name who the Lord of Storm's End is, which is kind of funny. It's, yeah, it, they even they even show Sam, who's like, well, if anybody was going to know it was Sam. <laughs> He was down in the Citadel most recently. He would have seen the papers coming in, but uh, nobody knows. And so she she names him to that title. And it is amusing because Gendry is so ill-fitted mm-hmm. <laughs> to, the, to the job. It is totally this honorary title that is, in theory, going to wield tremendous power, assuming whatever lords are left in the Stormlands would have him. Mm-hmm. Somebody might be in Storm's End right Right. now and maybe doesn't want to give Gendry the castle. (laughs) Right, right. But it also is this first move of Daenerys, I think something basically to turn the audience against her, that she's being manipulative, right? That that Mm -hmm. she's given this gift and we're happy to see it, but that she is is saying that it's because she's as clever as Tyrion that she's getting a lifelong ally. And later that evening with Jon, I think she also shows a sort of similar manipulation that maybe comes from a good place, but also there's something sort of wrong with it. It's a little corrupted. Yeah. I think when we get to that John scene also, it's just the love story between Daenerys and John is just not strong enough to make some of that tension believable. Agreed. That, oh, they're so in love, but they have this thing that's a problem. And it's like, well, but are they really that in love? How you know, in love are they? they? They already kind of seem like they're more of just sort of teammates. <laughs> You know, like we're fighting for the same cause. Buddy. (laughs) Yeah. Which uh, is kind of where Arya leaves it with Gendry here (laughs) as well. So Gendry leaves the hall, finds Arya, and proposes to her. And when he even comes up to approach her, the way he just kind of like has this casual, like, but but loving embrace and, and kiss is a gesture of kind of like youthful romance or something that I don't think we've actually seen on the show. I don't think we've seen somebody approach another character and be like, hey, I love you. Let's let's get married. I, I, <laughs> he's so like sincere. And maybe it's just the like the notion that Gendry is so innocent in this regard mm-hmm. and forthright and oblivious that it's also something, something that obviously cannot be like this is the world of Game of Thrones that does not belong here. Right. The thing that the only thing that I regretted and I did I didn't like seeing his little heart broken in two, but it also 
colors their entire relationship a little bit that he doesn't know her and that was the only thing that sucked is because it's so clear to the audience that this is not what Arya wants I knew that she was gonna say that's not me like she said mm-hmm. it a couple of times before and so I was just like oh no Gendry don't that means you don't know her at all <laughs> yeah I was sort of thinking that after they had hooked up a couple episodes ago that Gendry had figured it out yeah seeing the scars and everything but it also kind of shows that maybe Arya was perhaps a little manipulative hmm. there that she kind of maybe used him a little bit. I guess she wouldn't know that he was going to be such a bumbling romantic, but I don't know. Yeah. She's very perceptive though, so <laughs> <laughs> she probably saw it coming. Yeah. Maybe she thought he'd never get the courage to actually ask her to marry him. Yeah, that's possible. And that's the last we see of Gendry this episode, I believe. Yeah, he'll probably come up again. Just to wrap up something with Davos here, too, just a character that we see very briefly. Later on, when the characters decide to go with Daenerys or go with Jon, like, or stay in Winterfell or do something else, Davos goes with. What's Davos doing these days? Like, why why is he uh, hanging out with Jon still? Shouldn't he be, like, going back to wherever he's from? Well, would you want to go back to Flea Bottom? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he could like go with Gendry wherever Gendry, or maybe Gendry's going with them all too. I actually don't know. I'm not sure. Where he ended up. But Davos also gets really important words, I think, to explain the show to the viewers that there are still us to contend with, right? Like that yeah. that basically we have faced this existential threat, but there's still us. And on one hand, I think that's sort of a cop out. It's to explain like the thing that's confused me, which is this weird decision to order the conflicts in the order they're in, but also there's something maybe really cynical and maybe true about human nature that, yes, there are these big things, but our worst enemy is always going to be ourselves. Yeah, part of me wonders, I, I would imagine the show will pull back from this a little bit, but it's, it definitely seems to be heading this way. The idea of ordering things like this could potentially have like a very like nihilistic mm-hmm. streak to it, which is hey, you thought you could rally everybody behind this big global cause. And you did, for the most part, get a lot of people together. But there's no way to get everybody on one page. And even if you did, once that threat is eliminated, it's just going to be human nature taking over and human nature destroys itself. Yes. And part of me thinks that that is a legitimate point of view. I'm not sure that it's completely the view of the show, but... It seems to be what they're doing now. I can't remember if it was referenced in a behind-the-scenes thing or if this was like somebody else's critique video, but the idea of sort of the ending of this show, or the ending of the series in general, having parallels to the end of Lord of the Rings and how there's the whole extended sequence at the end of the third Lord of the Rings book where they go back to the Shire and Saruman is there as pretending to be a character named Sharky, which mm-hmm. is always something that I've found amusing and it's basically this the world will never exactly be the same but i don't think this show is really seems like it's doing that it's not about again maybe like gendry going back to storm's end and like what's happening there or let's talk about what does life at winterfell now and i think if they were going to do the scouring of the shire that it would be winterfell that the king's landing in our mind is already a corrupted place and so mm-hmm. the fact that they're ending there isn't sort of a like, you can never go back because 
that's a city that has already been tainted as long as we've been introduced to it because it was a place where the Starks were murdered. And I realize they have to like resolve all these, well, they don't have to do anything, but like they're going to resolve all these plot lines with the characters down south. But I am left thinking like, I would like to follow Tormund up north and see what's going on up there. I would like to see what's going to happen in Winterfell. I want to check in with what's happening in the Riverlands or the Eerie Mm -hmm. and like know all these things. I would say I'm at least twice as interested in seeing what's happening in those places than I am at seeing the King's Landing plot resolved in this way. Uh, you may be out of luck, Dan. <laughs> oh, I, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not expecting as much. Well, Though I, I do want to see, I do think we will see uh, a little bit of Edmure and Robin Aaron this season. I think along a similar vein in this party, someone who really sticks out like a sore thumb is Bran, who's sitting in his fancy chair that Tyrion compliments. But everyone seems to realize that Bran doesn't belong there, and he even says that he lives mostly in the past. Is that the writer's way of saying that he will have no use going forward? I wonder. He has this look at one point at the end of his conversation with Tyrion where he looks back behind him and it's we later see that it was just a maester approaching to sort of wheel him somewhere else. But the way he looks behind him is definitely like almost surprised mm-hmm. and sort of like who's sneaking up on me kind of thing. And yeah, I don't know. I think he's just the I think he's kind of lost now. It seems like his main brand's main thing, other than being bait for the Night King, was to let the world know about who John's parents were, that he saw the vision and figured it out and is going to deliver that information now and it's going to be disseminated. But what does Bran do from here? I, I really don't know. I don't, he doesn't seem like he'll be Lord of Winterfell. And I don't know. I, I kind of wonder if, I wonder if we're done with White Walkers. Hmm. I, I don't think the John as Night King or John as White Walker theory is all the way gone yet hmm. because <laughs> because the uh, mainly because of john's farewell scene with tormund and sam where tormund is going to be heading back up north to take the wildlings back beyond the wall or actually i guess they're just taking the castle black but probably keep going north from there and it's basically this thing where john says i wish i was coming with you and yeah. Tormund says, you've got the real North in you now. And John's direwolf ghost goes is going with Tormund. And it's just everything is kind of being like, you should be up there too, John. Like, and I'm wondering if like Cersei has, or Kyburn, and they have like figured out how the Night King was made and they would be able to do it again. Like maybe if you plunge a dagger glass, dragon glass dagger into into somebody's heart maybe it happens again i don't know interesting that was a really important scene framed within the gates of winterfell you get Tormund, ghost and sam and gilly and you do have this feeling that john is leaving something behind he says he wants to go north that he'd be happier beyond the wall than where he's going Mm -hmm. and what i'll be interested in is whether the show thinks that he is betraying his nature by leaving these things behind or if he's becoming more of who he was meant to be. 
and more I, of the Targaryen. Right, right. That mm. that even if he's giving up what he wants to do to do the thing that he is meant to do, or is he betraying himself? And I don't, I don't know that I have a good read on that yet because there was, I mean, there was a perfectly framed shot of all the things he's leaving behind, and they're all very right. north, right? And he seems to regret it, but we don't. I don't know that I have a good read on yet if he's going to regret it forever, or is this just like. I think Maester Eamon is the one who says you have to kill the boy. Is this sort of a further exercise of that, killing who you were to become who you're supposed to be? I think it could go a number of ways, potentially. If An ultimate situation where John has an opportunity to take the crown or the Iron Throne or something like that, and the only way to the only way for him to not take it is to some sort of uh, some sort of sacrifice, some sort of banishment or something like that where he would have to sort of live his days back up north maybe he'll reestablish the night's watch or something like that but then what does the night watch do now i guess so yeah. <laughs> that's a good question yeah they don't really they don't really need the wall at this point unless there would be a new threat of some kind but i hope that john takes more stock in the way that he was raised and grown up as a northerner and as a Stark, and that the Targaryenness of him, which is just something that he's been told, granted he knows it's true, but that that is less consequential and that sort of the northerness of him wins out. But then do you think the show's perspective is that the northerness, including what I would call Arya and Sansa's clannishness, is a better mm-hmm. way of life than Daenerys's or a more southern collaborative I don't know I, I feel like there there are real characteristics that separate them and I I can't tell if the show is saying that one is more correct or more has more moral basis than another yeah I don't know I, I don't know that I would say that the show is saying as much because I think to me seeing the way that Sansa and Arya are rea- are acting towards Jon's decision to support Daenerys in this way is not for the best Hmm. you know it's but is the show reinforcing that i think to some degree but maybe it's not going to be of much consequence so Hmm. maybe it's maybe the show isn't going down on one side or the other with that but i definitely felt like sansa is being a little needlessly antagonistic at times and that just pushes daenerys further away into what she's looking to do so it's just like this self-fulfilling prophecy of each one thinks the other is on the wrong path and then as they think that they both get further and further on wrong paths interesting well if we want to start tying some of this together sansa at the feast is definitely not trying at all to disguise her her dislike for daenerys her face is pretty dismissive and and sort of openly hostile and then when people are starting to split off into their pairs daenerys comes to see john and says are you drunk in a way that almost conveys, I hope you are, because I need to talk you into something. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There are some really great shots in this episode of Daenerys' face. Mm -hmm. We have more extreme close-ups of Daenerys' face than really anything else. And a lot of those expressions are almost surreal in the way that her expression is so wide-eyed and either paranoid or in disbelief at what she's hearing or just very desperate and sometimes like in the in the feast hall they kind of 
remove a lot of this or muffle a lot of the sound. So it's definitely like we're seeing things like within her own head and seeing how things are not going how she wants them to. Mm-hmm. When she's in the bed chamber with John, John like puts her his hands like around her face slash neck and is kind of cradling her in that way. And it's just like this close up of her it's almost like suffocating like literally almost kind of like suffocation look to it. It's like the like honor and goodness of John is is suffocating. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, almost in a literal sense. And then of course later when the uh, they're down south, we have a lot of close-ups of Danny's face. But that's in a m- much harsher light. Probably I think the most unflattering light that I feel like we have seen Daenerys in, we've seen Amelia Clark lit in that way. Just, it seems like they're trying to, like, even, like, age her, like, a little bit in those scenes. And her clothes, which I know have not been your favorite this season, but now are looking very villainous, also mm. didn't exactly match. So she she's in a, a in a ecosystem when they're back down south that's a little bit closer to the one that we first saw her in, where she wore a lot of blues and a lot of whites, and she looked cool and picturesque right but now she's in a in a mostly gray with some very spiky red fur stripes and so she just looks sort of washed out in a little not the sort of silk clad goddess that she's been Mm -hmm. for a lot of other times there was something about her look that she did not look as majestic as yes and in in the north with those clothes it worked right because the background is so white and you know that it's cold but there's something about being back down south that she doesn't cut as impressive a figure yeah, they haven't really conveyed like what the weather's like down there right now. It's supposed to be "quote unquote" winter. When Jamie left to go north at the end of last season, he started to see snowflakes down there, but it looks pretty warm right now. It, it looks a little warm for the coat. Yeah, although I, Cersei is wearing a little, maybe a little bit more, like a one extra layer than typically. But mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't seem very cold. We've skipped around quite a bit, but I think the at least for me, the final and most important thing that happens in the aftermath of the feast is that Brienne and Jamie actually hook up. It's true. I did not expect it. (laughs) Yeah, I thought we were going to leave that as is. We mentioned in our episode two analysis that we felt like we didn't need to see it, that the nighting scene pretty much sealed the deal and offered that kind of point of fan shipping satisfaction that we were hoping for. But I don't know. What what did you think of them deciding to actually have this happen? Dan, I loved it so much. (laughs) I, I just squealed and cackled with delight watching their awkward, awkward disrobing. And that, but I loved that both of them were so bad at it. And I think book readers probably know that Jamie's bad at it because the only woman he's ever slept with is Cersei, which is sad in its own right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But there's just something so terrifically awkward about it that it was probably my favorite part of the whole episode. (laughs) The looks that Brienne gives Jamie when Jamie is trying to take his own shirt off (laughs) is... Just this like darting eyes back and forth to be like, what? What's is he doing this? What is? What am I supposed to do? Oh, geez, he's terrible at this, you know. <laughs> yeah, I now know about myself that my favorite thing is two attractive people going through a really fumbling seduction. <laughs> it's not so bad. 
Yeah. It, well, no, the the seduction. Yeah. No, the seduction was fumbling. <laughs> He's like, oh, sure. oh, it's so hot in here, <laughs> <laughs> and just sort of like, uh, everybody drink more wine. I'm like, mm, all right, attractive knights. They're just like us. I mean, the line that Jamie has that I've never slept with a knight before. It might actually be the best line in the episode. <laughs> so that part before it gets to the next part was my favorite. Yeah. Well, I guess let's just let's follow that one up with the second scene that we have with Jamie and Brienne where Jamie leaves to head back south and Brienne stays. And I know that that's bad, and I feel really bad for her, but I also think it's the showrunners trying to stack the deck a little bit against Jamie. I think, he, I mean, he has to go down there in order to stop Cersei. So he even at this moment may think he's going down to stand with her, to protect her, to save her. But I don't think there's any chance that that's what, she's, what he's actually going to do once he gets back to King's Landing. Do you think the way that they're showing it right now in the show that, what do you think that as far as, not like what the real deeper motivations are, but like in this episode and the way that that is depicted, what do you think we are supposed to be thinking Jamie is thinking as far as like why he's going down south. I think right now he's being affected by a knee jerk reaction that Cersei is in so much danger that he needs to go be with her. Mm. I think that is what he thinks he's doing. And then Brienne, I think has some understanding of that and says, you don't need to go die with her. Right. I think, I think she understands that initial motivation. And then he maybe realizes how understood he is and then tries to push her away by listing these other things that make him a bad man. Yeah, he has some pretty obvious kind of defense mechanisms that he clues into when he's trying to get out of this situation. It's pretty transparent. I, I think so too. I think so too. So that's why I'm like, it must be the writers trying to trying to trick us into thinking that he's going down there just because he loves Cersei so much. And I and he may he may f- he may feel that, but I think. I think that Brienne understands why he feels like he needs to go down. And then mm-hmm. she's trying to tell him, you, you really don't. And that that's, I don't know. And then that's when they push a little hard into being like, no, Jamie's really serious about doing this. To me, like, this is the wraparound to episode two conversation between Jamie and Tyrion, where Tyrion calls him out mm-hmm. on his, you know, not actually being fooled by Cersei, but being an enabler. And somebody who kind of has really helped create the situation that everyone is in right now. And I think this is when he hears about what Cersei has done, which is capturing Missande, destroying a lot of the fleet, killing Rhaegal, that, that that's the news that he hears that later on that night he decides, I have to go down there. So to, to me, it was less like, oh no, Cersei is in danger, and more like, oh no, Cersei is like gaining momentum here. I have to, this is my responsibility. I have helped this get us get into this situation. I have to go down, and I don't know that he's thinking I have to go down and kill her, but I think he's going down and knowing like, I have to try and resolve this situation one way or another, whether that's with me dying whether it's like whatever needs to happen i have to like pay the price for this interesting i think i think that's coming the way i saw it that it's still maybe a step before he gets to Mm -hmm. that realization 
but I do think I do think that's on the way. And I, I, you know, it's a the way that they have Brienne being very vulnerable here and just wanting Jamie to stay. Like Brienne basically being a little bit of less Brienne the Knight. Yeah. And I don't know what did, what did you think about that depiction of her? I I think there were a lot of people who were disappointed in it. I kind of like it. I think you're allowed to be a person who wants the wants someone to stay with you I, like mm-hmm. I, I I think it's all right to be vulnerable and to ask someone like don't go I, I want you here and that there's actually something powerful about her even speaking like being that honest about how she feels about him so I, I realized that that there were a lot of people who thought that this was a, a moment of weakness or that they made her into just like a sort of a more typical female character than Brienne has typically I just use typical now three times that it's unusual to her character. But I think part of what the fact that it is unusual that she's asking for the emotional thing that she never thinks that she needs. Yeah. I, I think I ended up being all right with the way everything happened, assuming that I hope I just, as long as this is not the last that we see of Brienne, that essentially like we, we still get to see a little bit more of the, the kind of Brienne the Knight, and she still gets to do more things. But I, I also, I, I agree. I, I thought that it was a uh, characters are can have these kind of vulnerabilities, and that that's that's what makes them kind of more, more human characters to me. Yeah, but I can't tell what would be a better ending for her. Like, does she go down to King's Landing to fight with Jamie to save him to kill him, or does she? stay up in Winterfell and protect Sansa like she's sworn to do. I don't I don't know what is yeah. the more satisfying ending. So I, 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 I always want to see more Brienne, of course. Yeah. But I'm not sure which one feels more true to her character and which one will feel more satisfying. Yeah. I feel like she's going to stay, but I don't, I don't know what she's all going to... I don't know what still is going to happen in Winterfell at this point. Yeah. If there's going to be some sort of reckoning for Sansa for spreading Jon's secret, it seems like there could be. But I don't know what that would be. And I think probably the way that things are going to shake out in King's Landing are going to change whatever possible consequences there could even have been. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. Yeah. And Sansa was being a real jerk. She was the one that sort of freaked Jamie out about Cersei because Sansa says that she wished she had, she always wanted to be there when Cersei was killed and that now it's going to happen while she can't see it. And that's sort of the thing that tips Jamie over the edge. And so I'm like, why, why'd you need to go that far, Sansa? <laughs> well, I mean, not only that she's not going to see it, that seemingly it's not going to happen. She said, like, it looks like it's not, it looks like that's not going to happen. You know, it's like... That, that's where I was kind of going from, like, Jamie seeing that there is this momentum shift. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah. I guess, speaking of, like, which battles, who's going to win this battle, let's talk about the bronze scene real quick. Uh, if, we, if we must. Real quick. <laughs> um, Bron shows up. He does. And with he's the a lo- crossbow. And he's a lot less fun than he has been. Yeah. He kind of walks this line where he's not chummy. It's not like, oh, hey, Jamie and Tyrion, you know I would never kill you. But he's also not like just walks in and shoots him. It's this negotiation where Bronn is still like looking to get his and always kind of double down and, and try and get more than he can. And over the course of this, Tyrion offers him Highgarden, which is double at least 
of Cersei's offer of River Run. Yeah. What I do like about that, the, um, the show, both with Jon and with Daenerys, are really invested now in sort of what powers you get from your birth, from your parents, from your position, your destiny. And Bronn makes the very good point that everyone who is in charge was essentially a hard bastard who killed a bunch of people, and that's how they got to be in charge. Right. Salient. Yeah. And may end up coming true. Another thing with that scene that I needed to watch it twice to really pick up on, because I was just in utter disbelief at how ridiculous it was that Bronn just showed up in Winterfell and was like, just showed up and then leaves, and nobody seems to really pay any notice even when Arya showed up at the gates you know a couple seasons ago they stopped her at the gates you know she didn't sneak in um but they do an establishing shot of this cottage slash pub whatever it is and it is not in Winterfell Winterfell the castle is way in the background this is outside of town so it is a little bit more believable that Bronn wouldn't be seen and that he could have snuck up there. And what get, Jamie and Tyrion were doing outside of the castle, who can say? I don't know. I think it makes sense that even now, Jamie isn't really a welcome guest inside Winterfell. True. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. That he can live in Winterstown if he wants, mm-hmm. but he doesn't get to, like, he doesn't get a master bedroom. I have, a, I have a prediction here, and this is based off of Tyrion offering Bronn Highgarden and. Gendry being offered Storm's End, I think the Golden Company will be turned towards Daenerys' side, and it will be done by Tyrion offering the Golden Company Castaway Rock. Interesting. Because what does the Golden Company love? Gold. Huh. Well, I guess that's true. And that is where, in the books, that's where the Golden Company lands, right? With the... Oh, oh gosh. do they? I, I can't. I thought. Oh, maybe they land in Dorne. No, I think they land on Casterly Rock. I think they land. I think they land in the Stormlands. Oh, okay. Well, then never mind. What is it called? The Griffin's Roost. You're right. It's the Griffin's Roost. Because hmm. John Connington is in the books. Mm-hmm. And Young Griff. Young Griff. <laughs> and if you haven't read the books, you have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> it probably won't matter, but. Who can say? Interesting. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I th- I think that they're trying to divvy up all of the great houses, and so we we could be in a situation where all of the current leaders of great houses are wiped out, and then all these other f- random folks are going to start up all their new dynasties. I think that's a good point for the show. That in some ways people are really they elevate this idea of these are our lands and our name and and our house and our banner, blah, 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 but that those are all sort of invented things that were bestowed in order to get loyalty to cutthroats, that no one really comes from a respectable background if you go back far enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we shall see, but we are still on board for my bingo prediction. It's on somebody's board that Harry Strickon will die in the second episode in which he appears. Mm-hmm. We're still waiting on it. He has not shown up a second time yet. And even if he is offered Castaway Rock, that does not go without... It is also possible that he will still die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, not get, and not get it. No. I I think that, that that prediction could still come true. Whether or not Bronn will actually wind up here getting Highgarden, 
I don't I I don't have a lot of confidence that Braun is going to make it out of this whole thing. I wouldn't be surprised if he in fact helps somebody sneak into King's Landing for some reason, but uh I don't know. I I have a feeling that Tyrion showing up at the gates for Cersei to see is pretty much evidence that Braun did not do his job. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, she might want to kind of tie that loose end up. Agreed. And Bronn may have overplayed his hand. That was uh, He was playing pretty rough with the Lannister boys. Mm-hmm. Well, we could wrap up some of the rest of the Danny stuff. There's actually a few more kind of scenes with her that we haven't mentioned. Again, she is kind of the, with a little bit of John, but she is, is the focal point of this episode Absolutely. as far as I am concerned. Yeah. So there's a scene in the some sort of war room in Winterfell while they're formulating the plan of attack against Cersei. And this is really where they start to try and make this turn with Sansa a little bit more that she, or sorry, with, uh, with Daenerys more that she would be wanting to move forward with this plan, even though the troops weren't ready yet, they needed some time to recover. And what struck me about this on second viewing is that this is not Daenerys' plan. Unless there's some preamble here that we did not see, this is a plan that is laid out by John and Tyrion. And then after they lay it out, they essentially ask for Daenerys' approval as if she's hearing it for the first time. And she says, yeah, okay, let's do that. And then the ensuing sort of conflict between Sansa and Daenerys plays out as if Daenerys just said all this stuff and said like we have to do this or you know or there will be consequences or something like that Mm -hmm. which really wasn't how it happened like Sansa should be arguing with if the show wasn't trying to build up the animosity between them she should be arguing with Jon and and Tyrion more directly in this scene yeah I think this is part of what I meant that they're attributing a lot to Daenerys I think before she demonstrates it or thinks that that's a good idea or that that's really I mean even Tyrion pointing out like we're trying to preserve life that it's not totally clear from what she says that she's going to massacre the city but there's a lot of inference and a lot of violent intent attributed to her in a way that I don't think is exactly fair and that's what I meant earlier that I think if these scenes had taken place after Rhaegal's and Missandei's death it would make a little bit more sense but everyone is sort of what's the word what's the phrase jump in the gun jump in the gun something about a punch I don't know that um, beating her to the punch, I guess, that mm-hmm. before she's really shown that she's willing to do something extreme, everyone is, oh no, she's going to do something extreme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that I think as a story, it would have been more effective if she had, you know, Jorah dies at the feast. She sees that people are complimenting John and saying what a good king he would be. She sees that Tyrion seems much happier with his brother, who is, um, you know, a traditional enemy and the murderer mm-hmm. of her father that if she lost her best friend and lost another dragon, that these are things that people might start to worry affect her mental state. But instead, mm-hmm. only a couple of them happen before everyone is, well, not everyone, but basically everyone besides Tyrion is ready to jump ship. Yeah. Tyrion's really her only advocate, and he has to advocate a number of times throughout this episode mm-hmm. to a number of different characters. So, um, so I think that's I, a good point, Dan, that it's it's not Daenerys's plan. But it's still, it's still, people still act as if it's, she doesn't care about the state of her own troops. Yeah, which is, which, which I think is basically why by the end of this episode, I felt like 
I wasn't actually getting this, oh, she's turning into the Mad Queen thing, because I feel like the characters around are kind of maybe hinting at as much. But if you, like, just looking at this episode and knowing who Daenerys is and everything that she's done up to this point, that I don't think that's actually coming through in her character so much as everyone else around seems to be maybe, like, suggesting as much. That may be true, but they're certainly setting things up. Like, I think it's likely that Varys will get burned to death by Daenerys' decree. And that that's, yes. that'll be something that, that seems villainous, right? Maybe, but like the one thing that I definitely liked about this episode was the resurgence of Varys as a player. Mm-hmm. Because he hasn't been a player since maybe season three or something like that. I mean, a player in the sense that like, He's scheming and things like that and not just being like, I am trying to support Daenerys and I just am a loyal subject and an an advisor. And maybe I still have some of, you know, these contacts in place. Now this is him being like conniving and and scheming. And I think it doesn't bode well for him eventually, but I am happy that he is (laughs) doing like doing something and also setting himself up for a demise that we know is imminent in some form because Melisandre told him as much. And I don't know, and just in general also, like the way that a scene and at least part of an episode needs to go for Varys to have an impact and be a player in uh, is only like a certain pace of episode Mm -hmm. or at least scene. And so that's usually when Game of Thrones is doing very good if Varys can be a player. Granted, again, there's such a wild divergence of pace. It actually doesn't mean that the whole episode is colored that way, but right. we do at least do get parts of it. But yeah, I agree. I think I think Varys is probably going to get taken out, but I, I don't know. I, I think that they're not actually going to make this villainous turn for Daenerys, and I really hope they don't also, but I think that in an, a, a probable burning of Varys will be justified. It'll be a little bit more of like a John executing what's his face at the wall. Um, Jano Slint the, or yes. Alistair Th- Thorne? Yeah, the Slint, slint. Um, for defying the order, right? Mm. Sort of. I told you I was going to, you know, she already said, I'll burn you if you <laughs> defy me. He's already pretty much defying her. He's, he basically said, hinted to Tyrion that he's going to try and assassinate her. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if actually Tyrion rats him out. I think so too. And I think that that's going to be a hard betrayal because maybe at Jamie's prompting, but Varys was the one who freed Tyrion from the prison before his execution so that he could kill his father. So mm-hmm. it's it's really going to be a, a too brute moment. Yeah, at the end of their conversation where... It's, it seemed to be maybe hinted that Varys has these ill intents. Tyrion says, don't. Mm-hmm. And in a way that is kind of just like pleading, but also I think you could read as a little bit of a threat. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. And they're really making sure no viewer thinks that it's possible that Danny and John will just get married and share the throne. They're saying. Impossible. Cannot happen. Do not even think that this is a solution. So... It does seem like it's going to be one or the other. Yeah, the show constantly saying, let me stop you right there. It's, It'll never work. It, it's a non-starter. Mm-hmm. And then the one of the, the last, well, we have, uh, just to mention real quickly, it was so kind of terrible to watch. I 
don't want to talk about it, <laughs> but with the scene where we have the attack on Daenerys and the dragons. Yeah. And Rhaegal gets taken out is a gory shot in a way that we haven't really seen. Even in this huge battle we had last episode, not really a sense of gore. And this was uh, gross. Yeah. And a really kind of wretched way for this wonderful dragon to get taken out. Yeah. That was really, it was it was surprising. Obviously, that, that was what they were going for, but it was effective. Rhaegal gets taken out so quickly and pretty pitifully, but also gorily. And then the way that the scorpion bolts are also so effective against the ships and and how I, I thought the the tension of that and it like it really was scary and and then gray worms panic when he sees that Missandei has not made it to shore was was very sad i thought that whole thing was effective with an a right that you're just like oh no this has gone mm-hmm. so badly yeah and we also have we have a beached varus over there which do you think this proves that he's a merman or <laughs> disproves it because he obviously could swim yeah and then He's there, and he's not doing too well on the land. That would so. have been such a good Easter egg that if you looked just closely enough, there was like a little fin under his robe. Oh, my gosh. I would have given anything for them to just be like, oh, it's like there's one foot, but then also one thing that isn't quite a foot. <laughs> <laughs> what could it be? Uh, well, Kate, would you settle for a Starbucks cup? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Guys, it must be hard to make that show. Give everybody a break. You need your yeah. caffeine. I thought that was—I thought it was a fun little goof. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it was Varys's also, and he uh, left it over there. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was making Daenerys look bad. Mm-hmm. Then we have for Daenerys, we have the final scene, the confrontation at the gates, and the thing that really didn't necessarily strike me about the scene, but it's something I, I realized in this is that I don't think Missande has had an interaction with Daenerys all season. Hmm. And hmm. that seems really strange to me. And I feel like they have really isolated Missande and Grey Worm, but yes. particularly Missande yes. from where they were, she and Daenerys were a team. They were, they were friends and confidants and the distance that Daenerys has kept Missandei this episode is well, I think it's strange that it that is written this way I think as far as constructing an episode like a tv series I think it's also un- pretty unfortunate that one of the only actors of color in the show that is prominent is essentially kind of relegated to these sidelines even further than they would have been already and you know that's not just in the story this is sort of an extra textual detail but because they didn't want again to spoil the surprise they for a lot of that scene digitally imposed Masande. she wasn't even there while it was being mm-hmm. filmed which I don't know that it's terribly obvious when you're looking at the whole thing once I discovered that I really was looking but mm-hmm. I figure it must do something to the mindset of the actors and the and the emotion that goes into a scene. And it's really a shame that not only in the story is she sort of shunted to the side, but even during the actual filming, they wanted so badly to keep that surprise that she wasn't even there. Mm-hmm. That's, that's I don't know. It just seems like a shame. 
And it, it felt very artificial also in a sense that this whole episode is Daenerys' isolation, but like your best friend is right there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You have somebody, you do have someone to talk to. It's just you're artificially not in the same place with them because they just didn't have Masande in like any scenes basically except for when they're on the boat later. Right. Um, and for the purpose of the show, now they're having, they're, I think, putting forward this idea that Jorah was a better friend than Masande, which is just not true. Right. Jorah betrayed her multiple times. Yeah. And couldn't get over the fact that she didn't love him. <laughs> right. So, yes, I, I, I think that I am not necessarily opposed to the execution in general, but I think the way they have written up Masande's arc this season is contrived, unfortunate, and just uh, missed opportunities. Yeah. And speaking of, I don't know, missed opportunities are contrived, Tyrion has failed again in, in convincing anyone to do anything. <laughs> Granted, I, th- I feel like at least the stakes were not set up that he was going to succeed I know. in no, this No, 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 of course, of course. But it was still like, when was the last time that man did something that he said he was going to do? <laughs> right. And I, I mean, I, I love Tyrion. But I, it's the strain of, like, he's a very smart man. We need to keep him safe. We need to keep him as my advisor. He's the best of us. He's got the greatest mind. And then nothing he ever tries to do succeeds. And even I was, I was reminded of Lady Olena's last words about a failure of imagination, that Tyrion mm-hmm. has a failure of imagination when it comes to Kyburn. He doesn't seem to understand how cruel and uncaring Kyburn and Cersei really are. He's mm-hmm. he's like, I don't want to hear the screams of children. And he, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I also don't want to be able to, <laughs> right. to sort of um, empathize with someone who doesn't care. But he doesn't, I don't know that he's as good at people as he thinks he is. No, he, he has refrains that he repeats as if like people aren't hearing him correctly the first time. Right. It's like, no, we heard you, Tyrion. It's, still no it's it's still not going to happen and i the one thing i would say for him is in this scene is at least like i feel like they were going into this negotiation pretty much knowing that it wasn't going to work right it's for show and and so Tyrion, like going through this whole thing with cersei and trying to like get on her side is like is really not going to work and i was under no impression that it ever that it ever would I would have been I would have been beside myself if Cersei was like, "Oh yeah, you're right. I I am pregnant because I'm not pregnant, but I am <laughs> pregnant, and you have a good point." I know, I know. I'm just I don't know that the show can do it any other way. But then it's it's strange for them also to insist about like how good at this Tyrion is, right? It's only it's also his own family. He doesn't seem to understand even his own sister. He's like, You're not a monster. She mm-hmm. is. Although maybe that's supposed to echo what Oberyn said to him before he volunteered. That like that's not mm-hmm. a monster, that's just a baby. And maybe he's remembering how effective that was to hear and that maybe it would have the same impact on Cersei. Obviously yeah. not. I don't know. After the after after Tyrion fell for the alliance that didn't happen the first time. It's just like, what if, if that, if those, if that didn't work, this is off the table now, which is 
even more uh, beguiling as to why Cersei just doesn't shoot him dead at this point, but yeah. um, <laughs> just to be rid of him. Obviously, she wouldn't do that just as far as the show is concerned, but also I was just surprised at how many uh, Tarly soldiers seem to be left there. I believe that was all Tarly garb on the uh, hmm. the archers in there. Oh, I didn't look. I'll have to watch that again. Interesting. I, but... Is that supposed to hint to us how how they have reacted since Daenerys did what she did? Yeah, maybe they have they've scooped up the rest of them that that weren't a part of that force or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. There seems to be some comment there about what happens when you do violence, but Cersei's also perfectly happy to do violence. Yeah, I think she's really feeling like she's got the upper hand now and is doing all her operations from a position of strength. I think they've done a great job of making those scorpions feel very threatening to mm-hmm. the point where like the idea of this threat of burning the city and everything is like well i don't know how's that gonna work like yeah aren't they just gonna try and shoot him down and they're they seem pretty good at it so yeah Dude, i don't think he, i don't think drogon's gonna be able to just fly around for 20 minutes burning everything unfettered maybe at night maybe at night Maybe they'll sneak in and kill all the people with the crossbows with bronze help. <laughs> I don't think he's going to help, Dan. <laughs> he said his fighting days were over, but he still has a few more killing days, if you know what I mean. Well, Grey Worm has uh, snuck in through some sewers before, so maybe he'll do it And again. Grey Worm's going to be just a husk of a man, so he'll be willing to do basically anything. Yeah, he's going he's gonna to be out, out for blood and uh, with reason. Yeah, poor boy. Is there anybody else we haven't talked about this thing that we've missed? Any important scenes or? Oh, one thing I think that is maybe flies in the face of Daenerys not doing something bad and not being a not being a villain is that she wants the common people. One of the reasons she agrees to this parlay with Cersei is she wants the common people to know whom to blame when the sky falls down on them, mm-hmm. which really does seem to be an echo of her father's "burn them all." That I'll kill them all. But sort of like, they should know that I didn't want to do this, but and it's Cersei's fault, but I am going to kill everyone kind of thing. Yeah, and also not acknowledging that, like, if there's one thing that Cersei seems to have control of right now, it's the PR campaign. Yeah. And so this idea of that, like, well, they'll all understand. They'll see the light. He's like, no, they won't. Yeah. <laughs> She's already convinced them that you're the usurper, and, you know, it's like she's already won that fight. Right, so, and she's invited them to come stay in the Red Keep as human shields, but they don't realize that either. And so that was something that it's, I don't think it's a super emphasized line, but there's something pretty sinister about, just so you know who to blame when everyone's dead. It wasn't my right. fault, even though maybe I'm the one who kills everyone. And Missandei's last word is Jakaris, of is. course, which is essentially supposed to mean like, hey, Daenerys, get in here and get revenge. Sure. Yeah, I think they're definitely like building that tension for this cliffhanger, but I have my doubts. Oh. I think that, I think Daenerys is that is will show enough restraint or strategy to kind of go some other route with it. I hope so. I'll be interested because as much I I wanted Daenerys as a villain, but I don't think they've earned it for the show. Right, because the the reasons why we would think that would have to do more with how like we were talking about last episode with her bringing all the Dothraki over and all the Unsullied and essentially like making them fight, like basically being a conqueror. Mm -hmm. It's not really like the most virtuous of positions. Indeed not. And so if you are billing yourself as such, it's like, "Mm, maybe, uh, 
maybe not so good, huh? Yeah. And she says that she's never been looked at with the sort of affection and awe that John gets, that she says she's seen that look before, but she's never got it on this continent. And I'm like, exactly. You should have stayed in Essos. (laughs) (laughs) You were legitimately beloved there and you had a, a claim to sort of a moral high ground that you don't have. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if they'll get into that. They might. I don't know. Maybe Dario will show up and show her the light. Dan. Be like, listen. Dan. He's not coming. <laughs> Dario's never coming. Dario will show up. He Varys won't. is a merman. Oh, no. John will become a white walker. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's a new prince in Dorne. There, yeah. Who is that prince? I don't know. I don't know why they didn't just make it a princess at this point. Why? why Seriously. Like, after all that, just like, it's it's already like a just offhand line. Just make it a princess. Yeah. Unless that's supposed to be this, you know, symbolizing this return to like the tradition, right? That Varys is talking about, about the Lords of Westeros being more accepting of a of a king than a queen that does seem to be part of it i remember i think it was season seven that it was just like oh my gosh look around this war war council table like it's all women and that has really shifted now yeah well we're also almost out one thing that was that was all sad about uh jorah's death here in the funeral is that generation of characters he was just about the last holdout i think it's like davos is left Mm-hmm. And of somebody who would have been a part of Robert's Rebellion, basically, or had a role to play in all that, other than maybe Varys. Yeah. But I don't think Varys is long for this either. But it's like, okay, that, that generation is gone. And then maybe that really is the the generational kind of uh, forgetting of like, they're not here anymore to tell us that we're doing the same things they were doing. Hmm. So we're going to do the same things they were doing. Yeah. I mean, there definitely there has to be something cyclical. It feels so clear that that the power, the nature of power, is cyclical. And I think even, and especially Bronze words, which is it's weird that I'm giving him so much credit uh, for such a tiny. Bron tiny is part. really he's the linchpin of this episode. Well, there you is, have to admit. I, I I mean I am I do <laughs> that there is something about that he is more honest about where power comes from and how a family gets powerful, and that we're just seeing a changing of the guard. And that yeah. that flies in the face of what Daenerys says about breaking the wheel. But I it, right now it seems like the wheel is stronger than Daenerys. Can you give me a prediction for something you think will happen next episode? I think probably Clegane Bowl. I know that's cheap, but mm. it's certainly been teased. Well, I think it's debatable if that was going to be next episode or the one after. So, but it certainly could be next episode. There, the preview for episode five gives away pretty much nothing. Yeah. So I'm going to say Clegane Bowl. Maybe, we, and I think maybe Arya will help the Hound because there's, a, I, I can't decide. I Arya is not going to be able to kill both the Night King and Cersei. That's too many major characters for one tiny assassin. So maybe she'll help the Hound or maybe she'll be killed by the Mountain and then the Hound in a fit of rage will revenge kill the Mountain mm. to avenge Arya. Arya is pretty good at killing the undead at this point, though. That's true. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't know how Arya ends here. Like, I, th- I think she'll help him kill the mountain, but 
Will she die in the process? She said that she doesn't expect to return to Winterfell, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she expects to die. Maybe not. Like, if we go back to that, like, seeing what's west of Westeros, she could fulfill that. Mm -hmm. One of our bingo cards that we should go over here in just a second is Arya. The last time we see Arya is on a boat. That was one of my predictions, so we'll see. Yeah, I think that's a good one. What's your prediction for the next episode, Dan? I'm going to stick with my offer for the golden company okay that that Tyrion will offer castaway rock to the golden company and that is going to be i'll say that that is also what will turn them that they will turn um to Daenerys aside hmm. and that will at least be part of the deal okay if nothing else i think it will be offered Interesting. Maybe maybe it won't be accepted. Interesting. I'll say that. All right. Well, we'll check up next week. Can you tell me about the state of your bingo cards? It's, well, we've got a couple more. Iris got a couple that she got more than me. So she's got a Jamie and Brienne kiss. Mm-hmm. And also one that we forgot to mark last week, which is a Stark becomes a white, which might seem tricky, but in the crypts, are all the buried Starks. That's true. And they were resurrected. I and, uh, Granted, they became allow, I'll allow it. Yeah. And so she's got that. And I have no new ones. Oh, no. <laughs> Un- unless to return to maybe the White Walker backstory one. <laughs> <laughs> Iris was trying to make a case for that one being true in that we understood that the White Walkers had the motivation to kill Bran because that seemed to be, that they had the motivation to kill the Three-Eyed Raven if that would count, but I don't know. I think that's debatable. I was originally realizing, I forgot that this uh, one had the word backstory in it, mm. and I thought it was just more like we learn, learn more about the White Walkers, and I was actually going to say, like, I think we do because we learned that they can't be burnt by dragon fire. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's just about what counts as backstory, I guess. I think, so that, I that think one's a you little should, I think you should do it. I think that's fine. Um, I mean, I can tell you right now, it's not going to be, it's not going to like get me in a line for anything else <laughs> because Melisandre already was not sacrificed by fire. So mm. that, that one's not going to happen. How about your boards? Anything over there? Well, John is now up to five um, hey. and is, is fairly close to a bingo. Really? Um, he's got Jamie and Brienne hook up. So very good for him. But he's got a couple more. I'll let you know as things unfold. I got mm-hmm. two this episode. Um, okay. One is Gendry gets Storm's End. So I think that was oh, yours. Nice. Thank you very much. And then I think this was Iris's prediction that Danny and John find out they're related. John is upset. Daenerys is cool <laughs> with it. And I think we don't get that explicitly, but there's, I think, between what they say, the fact that Danny wants to kiss and, 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 yeah. and that John sort of gives her the, oh, no, we can't. And uh-huh. um, combined with the conversation where Tyrion's like, Targaryens marry all the time, and that Varys says, is that common in the North to marry your aunt? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I think so, that, like, in, in the hookup sense. Yes. So I, I think, I, I, with the two together, I feel like we get a picture that, John is physically not okay with it and and sort of wouldn't be okay with it because of tradition and that Daenerys seems kind of okay with... She wants to forget, right? She doesn't want to think about who he is to her and that Tyrion is like, it could work. Tar- Targaryens marry their family members all the time. 
when it seemed like they were actually going to hook up there in, in that bedroom, I, I may have uttered the phrase, Targ's going to Targ. Targs are going to Targ. They just don't <laughs> care at all. But then they didn't. So. Well, but not because John is. <laughs> right. He's got he's got baggage. He's got Stark baggage with him. Yeah. He's got that Stark guilt. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I. I got some work to do here on on my board. It uh, it could be a lot better. All hope is not lost. The only line I think that I have a little bit of promise on involves us learning what the sorcerer said to Varys before uh, he cut him way back in the day before the show started. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who's going to tell him at this point, though, unless Bran was, would tell him, unless Kinvara comes back. And... <laughs> If Kinvara comes back, that actually also screws me over because I need Kinvara is nowhere to be found. So I think that I am losing hope here. Well, but there are other ways to win the game, Dan. True. We could uh we, we haven't really done a tabulation as to like who wrote the post-its that are getting uh, tagged. We'll have to do that kind of adding up at some point because I think probably Iris is doing really well on that she front. Is. She made excellent choices. And then also I think the third way was just having the most period, right? Like mm-hmm. the most the most on your board, even if they don't make a bingo. Yeah, so well, I'm not winning that one. Well, you don't know. There are two more episodes, Dan. <laughs> I, that's true. And there is still a lot of like final things yeah. to, that are on a lot of these bingo cards. Yeah. So I think it's anybody's game. Okay. Well, I do hope Arya ends on a boat. Me too. In Especially general. since that was my choice. So that would help yeah. my, <laughs> my predictions, <laughs> you know, get up there. And I think that is going to do it for us. Yeah, again, we said that the episode preview for next one doesn't give us too much. It's kind of like the episode preview for the Long Night episode where it's like, hey, they're going to be fighting somehow or the people are on the march. There's no dialogue um, at all. Nothing is said. Yeah, and it is unclear. We don't see any fire in the episode, though, so it's really unclear if any burning happens whatsoever. But we will have to look at that when we get there. Uh, in the meantime, if you have any emails that you have about comments or y- things that you think will happen, or if you've made a bingo board, give us an update at themummersfarsepodcast at gmail.com. You can find all of our podcasts at themummersfarse.libson.com, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And for screenshots from this episode, which with David Nutter helming this one and uh, the scenes that did play out, it's not too dissimilar from what we saw in the first two episodes, right. really. It's a lot of Winterfell and a couple other things, but I'll post some screenshots there at the Mummer's Farce Pod. Actually, just Mummer's Farce Pod, no the on there. And I think that's it, unless there's one thing that I am forgetting to promote, but y'all know where we are. If you don't so, by now. How, how are you here? Um, <laughs> Anyway, we will have to chat about the penultimate episode next week, and who knows what will happen. I'll uh, I'll see you there, Kate. All right, thanks, Dan. Thanks. Bye.